Good morning, family. Uh, today's topic is a bit, I think, more difficult than the usual, as far as I can remember, since I was appointed here uh, since 2011. I uh, haven't heard a sermon on a Sunday about this topic, on what it means uh, to be prophetic, to understand what the prophetic is, uh, to teach us about this area, and then eventually to hopefully challenge us to move and operate in the prophetic. Okay, so that's the general aim for today's sermon. Hopefully you can follow along. If not, uh, please uh, pay 200% attention, uh, take notes furiously, and then go back and revise the notes. <clears throat> so hopefully the Lord will help us in this endeavor. Okay, let's turn to our scripture text for today. We continue our sermon series through the Gospel of Luke as we lead up to Christmas and slightly beyond that. So verse 57 when it was time for Elizabeth to have a baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. On the eighth day, when they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father, Zechariah, but his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet. Wow, this is the first iPad. <clears throat> and to everyone's astonishment, he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free and he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe and throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard it wondered about it, saying, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. Then Zechariah, his father, filled with the Holy Spirit, prophesied, saying, Praise be to God, the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he has said through his holy prophets of long ago. Salvation from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant. The oath he swore to our father Abraham to rescue us from the hands of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High for you will go before the Lord to prepare the way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and to the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the feet path of peace. And so the child here referring to John the Baptist grew <clears throat> and became strong in spirit and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. This is the word of God. Come, let us pray together. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come and teach us. Reveal your truths to us. Reveal yourself to us especially in this new topic for us, for some of us, a totally new topic. We pray that, Lord, you will guide us and speak to us, teach us to stand upon the foundations of your word and to operate by the gift of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, as I mentioned at the start, today I have a few aims. Number one is to help us understand what is the prophetic, to have a simple definition for what this so-called big word means. Second is to get us to be a bit more open, hopefully by the Lord's leading and work in our spirits, to be more open to this dimension of the prophetic. And thirdly, to teach us how we may operate in the prophetic in a simple manner, right? In a simple manner. So we begin by looking at the scripture text for today. Last week, we already heard from Pastor Emmanuel 
to talk about Mary's song, the Magnificat. And this week we turn to Zacharias Benedictus, which is the traditional name given for this song. And this is a Latin word drawing from the opening words of Zechariah in verse 68. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. First of all, we need to recognize that this entire song is a result of prophecy. Right? It says there in the scripture, Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. So prophecy is not something that is foreign. It's all throughout the scriptures, both in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. Zechariah himself, he quoted, right, in his song he says, uh, <clears throat> uh, verse 70, as he spoke through the mouth of his holy prophets from old. So Zechariah, even as he prophesied, he relied on the old prophecies from the prophets of the Old Testament. So first of all, we need to recognize prophecy is throughout the whole Bible. It is not something that we invent just because we knew now are New Testament believers. It is not something that is kept also only in the past, in the Old Testament. What God has done in the past, He continues to do in Zechariah's time and continues to do in the church today. So we have to understand, first of all, this foundation, that prophecy is something that carried out in the past, in the Old Testament, through the prophets, in the New Testament era, and then continues up to today. And the person who is responsible for prophecy is the Holy Spirit. Let's turn to Second Peter chapter 1, reading from verse 19. This is what Apostle Peter says, We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable. So the prophetic message is something completely reliable and you will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. This language sounds quite familiar to us as we have read in the Benedictus uh, when uh, Zechariah says, Because of the deep mercies of our God in whom the dawn from on high will visit us to shine on those sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death. So the same imagery, light shining onto darkness. That is the whole goal of prophecy. God shines his light into our darkened world, into our darkened hearts, so to reveal who he is. Right? That's the goal of prophecy, to reveal who God is. Right? So here we continue. Verse 20, 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things. No prophecy ever came about by the prophet's own interpretation of things, for prophecy never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is the key understanding we need to have. Prophecy does not originate from the human will. It originates because we are carried along by the Holy Spirit. Even though we are human, but we are carried along by the Holy Spirit and we prophesy just as we see in Zechariah's case. Now this was a man, if you recall, who was struck mute slightly more than nine months ago. He was serving in the temple, suddenly he saw Angel Gabriel, he didn't believe Angel Gabriel, and so he was struck mute. Right? He was supposed to name his son, he supposed to have a son and name him John. But he didn't believe that, he asked for a sign, he adopted, so he was struck mute. Finally, after more than nine months, because we see in the scripture text, it's only on the eighth day when he was supposed to name his child that he was able to speak. And because of the feeling of the Holy Spirit, the first words that came out from his mouth was not, wow, I can speak again. 
that's very self-centered, right? But he says, blessed be the God of Israel. The second point, the second goal of prophecy is to glorify God, to bless God's name. The first goal is to reveal God, light shining into darkness. The second point is to glorify God. That is always the goal of prophecy. It is not for us to, you know, uh, so-called fortune-telling, you know, to, for ourselves to just uh, uh, cheat ourselves. No. It's always God's Spirit revealing what God wants to do to bring glory to God. So prophecy actually has two simple dimensions. Number one is called foretelling. Foretelling, which are talking about predictions about events in the future. Notice it is not fortune-telling. Okay, so you cannot go to a prophet and say, please tell me the 4D numbers for this weekend. It is not fortune-telling. Fortune-telling operates by a different source, not by the Holy Spirit. It can still be revealing the future, but it is not by the Holy Spirit. It is a different source altogether. And the goal of fortune-telling is for our own personal gain. But prophecy is for God's glory. So this is very different. And God, in His Word... In foretelling, most of the time in the Bible, talks about communities. Very seldom does God talk about specific individuals. This is your job going to be in two years' time, your marriage will be like that in five years' time. None of that at all. Most of the biblical prophecies all relate to communities. And in the Old Testament prophets especially, they predict disasters predict disasters as a warning for God's people that they need to repent, otherwise these things might come upon you. So that's the foretelling dimension. It is not fortune-telling, but it predicts the future if we don't do certain things as God requires. The second aspect of <clears throat> dimension of prophecy is foretelling. How God sees the present situation and what He wants to say to us in the present circumstances. Right. So these two dimensions... And the Old Testament prophets had both dimensions. If you just give you some uh, example, Prophet Amos, for example, he spoke out against the rich, against social injustices. He called the rich people cows of Bashan. Actually, they were very fat cows living in the area. Lah. So you just feed yourself. We didn't take care of God's people. So he spoke out against the leaders of those days. But in the Prophet Amos, he also spoke about redemption to come. So you read all throughout the prophets, both major and minor prophets, you will see both dimensions. In, uh, <clears throat> so that's throughout Old Testament scripture. But both dimensions have one denominator in common. Don't, don't let this word scare you, okay? To be prophetic, here's the definition, a simple definition, is to really hear from God and then declare what He says. As we are carried by the Holy Spirit, first of all, the Holy Spirit reveals God to us. So we hear what is on God's heart. It can be a word, it can be a vision, you know, some things. So some of the uh, prophets in the Old Testament recorded visions, they saw things. Sometimes they wrote, the word of the Lord came to me. So the word of God can come to us in various forms, but it always originates from God himself, the Holy Spirit. We hear what God says, and then we declare it, we write it down. We tell people, we share it. So this is the basic common denominator, whether it's foretelling or foretelling. The basic common denominator is this. As we are filled by the Holy Spirit, we hear what God is saying, and then we declare what God wants to say to His people, whether it's for the present circumstance or for the future. 
that's the whole idea behind what it means to be prophetic. <clears throat> that's also our hope and aim every time we come together on the third Wednesday prayer and praise meeting. That's what we do. We come together in God's presence. And the first foundation and the most important foundation to move in the prophetic is to recognize the Word of God is prophetic. The Word of God itself is prophetic. You know why? Because everything is written by God's Spirit Himself. Yes, as Scripture tells us in 2 Peter, though human beings wrote it, it came about because men were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so the clearest way we can stand on the foundation of the prophetic is to declare the Word of God aloud. You cannot go wrong with this prophecy, in essence, because God has already revealed it. You just need to stand upon it and declare it. So our third Wednesday prayer meetings, this is what we do. We pray about what the Lord wants us to talk about or meditate on. One chapter of scripture or two chapters of scripture. We come together, we just read it out loud as a community. And then from there, we allow God's Spirit to guide us into His Word, to praise Him, or to hear what else He wants to say to us, specifically through the scripture text or whatever else the Lord may intend. So that's what we do. We recognize the Word of God itself is prophetic. Every time we read the Bible aloud, we are doing a prophetic act. So again, the definition is quite simple here. Whatever God says, and we declare it out, we agree with Him by engaging in a prophetic act. Okay, so there is a spiritual dimension to God's Word. It is not just Christian literature or any other literature. There is power in God's Word. There's a supernatural dimension behind God's Word. We need to recognize that. For many years, we have been taught we need to do our quiet time. So we read the Bible also silently, quietly. I want to challenge us to do it differently. You don't change the Bible reading discipline, but now as you read it, try to read it out aloud, at least under your breath, so that you can your spirit agrees with what God's Spirit has inspired in his word. So that's one way we begin to learn how to operate in the prophetic, by relying on the very source of prophecy itself, the Holy Spirit and the written word of God. Coming back uh, to some examples of the prophetic in the Benedictus, I need to refer us to the book of Malachi, chapter 4. And here I will show also the examples of what it means to be foretelling and foretelling, just to help all of us have a better understanding uh, that these two dimensions are always present. So Malachi chapter 4, this is the prophecy given to the prophet Malachi, <clears throat> the last book in the Old Testament. Verse 4, he says, Remember the law of my servant Moses, the decrees and laws I gave to him at Horeb for all Israel. So what is God's Spirit saying? Remember the law, the, ones, the words that I already spoken to you. It's foretelling. There's nothing new here. It's returning to the laws of Moses the decrees that I gave to him earlier. And then verse 5, he says, See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. So this is the foretelling dimension. He hasn't come yet, but I will send, God's Spirit say, I will send the Spirit Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. So this is the foretelling dimension. It's not just to prophet Malachi, but to God's people. And then verse 6, He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents. Again, it's future tense. It's a prophetic dimension of it. Or else I will come and strike the land with total destruction. Actually, this has both dimensions, speaking the truth 
God says, if you don't receive the prophet Elijah's spirit, then, and the hearts are not turned, I will come and strike the land with a total destruction. Some months ago, we invited Jason Wong, the founder of uh, That's for Life Movement, Yellow Ribbon Project, to come and speak to the parents. And he quoted this uh, passage. And I think it's really God's message to him and to us here in Singapore. We really need to recognize the need to hear these words of warning from the Lord to us. We need to recognize we need the Spirit, once again, of God to move in our midst, the Spirit Elijah to send to us so that the hearts of parents can be turned to their children and children to their parents. In the Benedictus, actually we see this passage being fulfilled. How? John the Baptist fulfills this passage. John the Baptist is said to, by Jesus himself and also in the Gospels that he represents the spirit of Elijah. The spirit of Elijah is upon John the Baptist. So this is prophesied, especially in verse 76. You, my child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before the Lord to prepare his way. So God said it in the past, Old Testament, 400 years later, he fulfilled it in the person of John the Baptist. And there's ongoing fulfillment in every generation. We all need to hear the words of God afresh, the prophetic words of God afresh. Receive the spirit of Elijah so that you can turn the hearts of parents to children. Otherwise, when God comes, it will be a dreadful day of judgment. Actually, it's not just Zechariah who was filled by the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Mary, when she visited Elizabeth earlier in Luke chapter 1, verse 41, it was recorded that Elizabeth herself was also filled by the Holy Spirit. And then in verse 15, you can read it out for yourself. It's all there. I'm not lying or cheating you. Verse 15, it says, John the Baptist himself was filled with the Holy Spirit even before he's born. It flies in the doctrine of, uh, in the face of the doctrine of original sin. We say everybody is born in sin. But here we have a text that says John the Baptist was filled by the Holy Spirit even before he was born. But the whole point here, I think Luke, the author, is very clear, is that Zechariah, Elizabeth, John, father, mother, and son, the whole family is filled by the Holy Spirit. And this becomes the second fulfillment of the Old Testament passage of Malachi. Malachi says, I will send the spirit of Elijah. That's the first prophecy, right? That happened in John the Baptist. The second prophecy was, I will turn the hearts of parents to children and vice versa. And when so the whole family, Zechariah, Elizabeth, and uh, John were filled by the Holy Spirit, their hearts were turned towards each other. That's the second fulfillment of the prophecy. I'm not sure whether you understand it, but do you see the link here? What the Old Testament prophets prophesied, it was fulfilled, first of all, in Zechariah's family. So Old Testament prophets carried by the Holy Spirit prophesied this. Zechariah, filled by the Holy Spirit, the whole family filled by the Holy Spirit prophesied something and then everything came to pass. What did they prophesy? First of all, they prophesied that Jesus will come, right? That's the Old Testament prophecies. You can Google it for yourself. Uh, all the Old Testament prophecies. Uh, Zechariah's song actually has many, many Old Testament references. I just uh, leave it to you. You can Google it for yourself, okay? I will just skip this part. Just suffice to say that Zechariah's prophecy, again, is based upon the Word of God. And we need to recognize when we prophesy, 
we need to have a solid foundation in the Word of God. If we don't have a solid foundation in the Word of God, it's very easy to go astray when we try to prophesy, right? Because we will be led by our own desires or some other things in our situations. So we always must base our prophecies upon the Word of God. God's Word is always true, always prophetic, because His Word has power. So we need to recognize this is the foundation for all our prophecies. It is the Word of God. The Word of God is the most prophetic literature, the prophetic book that we must uh, always engage with in our lives. That is why, I don't know whether you recognize it or not, but why do you come to church every Sunday? What are you here for? Besides praising God, yes, that's your duty, right? To honor God who saved you. But many of us are also hearing out a word from the Lord. Right? We actually do intuitively believe in the prophetic. It's just you didn't have the literature or the vocab to understand it. But we are all trying to hear a word from the Lord for ourselves. And so, and that's why we base it, first of all, on preaching from the Word of God. This is our Christian tradition. For 2,000 years, we have been basing our preaching on the Word of God, which is the prophetic text for all Christians, for all generations. And the Scripture reminds us that actually there are two major prophetic visitations, which is the sermon title for today. The first is Jesus coming in 2,000 years ago, the Incarnation which is a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecies. Again, you can just Google Old Testament prophecies about Jesus. You will see a whole list of scripture references. So God said it in the past. God fulfilled it. He came for the first time uh, in his incarnation. I call it prophetic visitation because the word visit is used twice in in the Benedictus, in verse 68 and 78. God visits his people in the flesh. Right? So that word is used from there. It's prophetic because God said it and he did it. God said he will come, he acted upon that word. So that's why it's prophetic. The second prophetic visitation, I think we all know, since we have been Christians for a long time, is that Jesus will come again. Jesus will come again. This will not change This is the foretelling element that is supreme. We cannot change this reality. God will come again to be with his people. For those of us who try to live holy and righteous lives, God will come and bring us uh, his rewards for us. But for others, it will be a dreadful day of judgment. The first coming, Jesus came in meekness. But in the second coming, Jesus will come in majesty. In his first coming, Jesus came in humility. His second coming, he will come in honor and glory. So that's the two prophetic visitations that we are we are already familiar with. Jesus' birth 2,000 years ago and when he comes again. This can never change, both in the past and in the future. But in between, actually, there is so-called the middle uh, part, the inter- interim period, the third prophetic visitation, so-called, in my understanding, and that is the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit helps us in this interim period. He is the one who visits us, dwells in us, to prepare us for the second coming. You understand? Jesus came once, then he will come again, right? Because he ascended back to the Father. In this interim period, he actually sends us the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, the Counselor. The Holy Spirit becomes the so-called prophetic visitation because it's promised. 
God has spoken, I will send, and He sends it. So it's a prophetic visitation upon God's people. This is prophesied both in the Old Testament and picked up in the New Testament. Just give you the scripture passages here. The prophet Joel in chapter 2 writes, And afterward I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. So this is the Old Testament prophet Joel foretelling what God will do. I will pour out my spirit on those days. And then, when Apostle Peter spoke to the crowds on the day of Pentecost, he quotes this passage. This very passage in Joel 2, he quotes it in his sermon. He said, this is the day that God has fulfilled his word. Joel prophesied that the spirit will come. Today, you all see that the spirit has come. And so we continue as Christians living from the day of Pentecost in this prophetic era. God's word is prophetic. But now we need to understand that God's people are also prophetic. Three simple points in terms of head knowledge for us today. Number one, God is a prophetic God. What he says, uh, he declares it and it comes to pass. And this is done by the work of the Holy Spirit. Number two, the Bible is a prophetic book. And number three, God's people are supposed to be prophetic. Whether we like it or not, actually we are always meant to be prophetic. And I think this is a very important message for all of us to recognize and so that we may be awakened. We don't just read the Bible as Christian literature. We don't try to dissect it as you know, university students. We need to recognize there's a supernatural dimension behind the Word of God and anchor our faith on that prophetic Word guided by the Holy Spirit who gives us prophetic gifts. The feeling and the work of the Holy Spirit is extremely essential in these last days. Number one, as we have seen in the text in Malachi, without the Holy Spirit, without Him sending the Spirit of Elijah once again moving in our midst, we are headed for total destruction. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, it's impossible for us to be saved from this corrupt generation. When Peter finished his sermon, he says, Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. But before he gives that warning, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and for your children and all who are far off. Peter was speaking to mostly Jews. So those who are considered far off are us, the Gentiles. Actually, we are very far from Israel, really very far. Uh, 13-hour flight. We are far off. But this promise has been fulfilled. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, the people of God, we fulfill this scripture. And only with the work of the Holy Spirit can we save ourselves from this corrupt generation. We cannot do it in our own human effort and strength. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. Only with God's Spirit can we actually fulfill Zechariah's prophecy, which is to live in righteousness and holiness all our days. It's a great prophecy, actually, you know, you think about it. To live in holiness and righteousness all our days. He is the first Wesleyan. He believed in Christian perfection before John Wesley did. <laughs> we need the Holy Spirit. He is the Holy Spirit. We cannot be holy on our own selves, effort and strength. 
When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, He enables us to live holy lives. He is the one who will enable hearts of parents to turn towards children and vice versa. Many young people here, you know, recently there's an exchange of words between the boomers and the millennials. Wow, oh, cannot understand each other, you know, stuff like that. It's not new actually, because this is the spirit of uh, the prince of the darkness. He comes to destroy families. And that's why we need the Holy Spirit to come to restore families. When we understand that God is a God of generations, a God of families, then we recognize the, how much we need the Holy Spirit. God is the, father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the God of generations. He's always been. And so he comes to restore families. For us, next year, our church team is home with a heart. The metaphor of a home, the imagery of a home, we think about generations. Unless we have God's Spirit moving in our midst, we can never build God's home. We, our hearts will never be turned towards each other unless we have the Holy Spirit. So for this, near, uh, next year onwards, we need to pray that God will help us fulfill this vision. Some of the things we'll do at the pulpit level, we will introduce something called the Family and Life Month, or months, depending on if the Lord needs us, maybe we'll extend it more than just one month, to build us in practical ways in our families and relationships. That's Akang Datang, coming soon, next year. Some practical uh, tips about that. But we need to recognize, even with that, we need God's Holy Spirit as the anchor for this theme to happen. Second, I want to uh, teach us to operate in the Holy Spirit's uh, work through the gift of prophecy. We have already seen the Old Testament prophets prophesying by the work of the Holy Spirit, inspiration of the Holy Spirit. We have also seen Zechariah prophesying when he was filled by the Holy Spirit. Now let me turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Apostle Paul, who wrote uh, his views on prophecy, this God's point of view, he says, 1 Corinthians 14, chapter, one, chapter 14, verse 1, Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. We need to understand the context. The Corinthian church was one of the most spiritually gifted church of all, compared to Ephesians, Galatians, all these other churches. This church is extremely gifted. All of them were moving in supernatural miracles, signs and wonders, tongues, and all kinds of things. And so Paul, in the early part of 1 Corinthians, he scolded the church. So what if you can move in all these wonderful gifts? So what if you have faith that can move the mountains? But if you do not have love, you are nothing. So what if you can speak in prophecies, you can speak in tongues, but if you do not have love, you are nothing. That's 1 Corinthians 13, right? So remember, love is patient, love is kind. And then, interestingly, here in chapter 14, it says, okay, since I explained to you what love is like, follow the way of love, but in this spiritually gifted church, he actually emphasizes the gift of prophecy. He did not tell them, stop exercising all gifts. Interesting, right? Instead of telling them to stop operating in all gifts, he says, follow the way of love, but eagerly desire the gift of prophecy. Paul understood that the church is a prophetic community. The Holy Spirit working in his people forms this prophetic community. And it is essential because, moving on, 1 Corinthians 14, he says in verse 3, 
the one who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouraging and comfort. Anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. When I'm stressed, I pray in tongues in my own quiet time. Actually, not very quiet because I'm praying out loud, right? But that's what I do. When I'm stressed, I don't know what to do. I cannot think of human solution. I pray in the Spirit. It edifies myself. But Paul says, but the one who prophesies edifies the church, edifies fellow believers. So can you imagine this? When I'm stressed, a fellow brother or sister prays for me and gives me a scripture passage and says, this is God's word for you. What happens? It edifies me, encourages me. Wow, God knows my situation. By the way, that's what the class-fitting atmosphere is supposed to be like. When we share our walk with the Lord, the rest of us are hearing out what is God saying to this brother or sister. But we are so anchored in the Word of God that we know exactly where to draw out the Scripture passage the Holy Spirit has deposited so that we can share and build each other up. That's why this gift is so powerful and essential for us. If we want to build a home with a heart, we need the moving of the Holy Spirit. And then continuing in verse 5, Paul says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. Wow. That's not me, ah, huh? Paul. Huh? Although that's my desire too, but he says, I would rather have you prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater, so-called, than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be edified. So while I have the gift of tongues, I don't speak it openly in the pulpit, neither do I allow the worship team or anyone to lead openly in tongues. Why? Because I'm obeying the word of God here. Unless someone interprets, it's useless. It's showing off. So we don't do that. But uh, Paul says in verse 18, I jump there, he says again, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. Whoa. <laughs> Paul also quite howling here. Huh? He howling to the... <laughs> Uh, Corinthian church, you all think you're very good, huh? I tell you, I speak in tongues more than all of you, but in the church, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. And so I follow this principle as well. The sermon is in English. <laughs> so hopefully you understand. If you don't understand, at least you can listen to the recording. If it's too cheap, at least you can revise, right? It's not in some tongue that you do not understand. Today's sermon really is just scratching the surface. As I've said uh, in the last eight years, nine years I'm here, haven't heard an open teaching about prophetic, what it means to be prophetic. But I think God is guiding us into a new season. We need to recognize that it's essential. So hopefully we've understood, first of all, our God is a prophetic God. He reveals himself through prophecy. The goal of prophecy is to glorify God, to build up the church. That's, these are the three purposes of prophecy. Number one is to shine light into the darkness, to reveal who God is. Number two is to glorify who God is. The goal of prophecy is always to glorify God. Number three, and that's why the Benedictus starts off with, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel. In fact, if you look at all the benedictions in the Bible, most of them in the epistles, they don't talk about us very much. It's always about praising God, blessing God's name. That's the real benediction. What we give here is actually not very fully correct, huh? It's always a blessing of who God is. And then the third goal of prophecy is to build up the church. These are the three goals of prophecy. But what does it mean to be prophetic? It simply means to hear the word of God and to declare it. That's where faith comes in. This is where faith comes in. How do you know you hear something from the word of God or not? First of all, we need to anchor it 
on the prophetic book, the Bible. You cannot be wrong when you anchor your faith in the Word of God. But even then, the Word of God is so huge, right? So you need to know the Word of God thoroughly so that you are not misled by one scripture text plead against another scripture text. So we need to know the Word of God thoroughly. And then to operate fully in this gift of the Holy Spirit, besides asking for this gift, eagerly desiring for it, we need to recognize, first of all, its place. Its place in the body of Christ. Without this gift, we cannot, in our own effort, be holy. The hearts of parents and children can never be turned to each other without the Holy Spirit. Without the gift of prophecy, the church will not be built up. To prepare us truly as God's people for Jesus' second return, the prophetic visitation that will last forever, we need a fresh visitation from the Holy Spirit. It's not a new visitation, it's a fresh visitation. Same with prophecy. There is, new, there is no new revelation. There's only fresh revelation. It's always been there. God never changes His word. He will never contradict His word. His Holy Spirit will never contradict the word of God. But it becomes a fresh revelation. Previously, for example, we may not know that the Lord is my shepherd. But somehow when we walk through the valley of shadow of death, suddenly we know the Lord is my shepherd. That's the difference between head knowledge and revelation. The Word of God suddenly is made alive, revealed afresh by the Holy Spirit. Let's stand. invite you to stand as we close this time. I've asked the worship team to prepare the closing song, Spirit, Touch Your Church. As they prepare themselves, let's go to God in prayer. Holy Spirit, take these words which I've just preached and cause them to come alive. Because Lord, unless you do this work, these are just man's words. My words are powerless, but your word is powerful. So Lord, help us to anchor ourselves. Plant us back into the prophetic tradition. The whole scripture is prophetic. You are a prophetic God. And you ask us through Apostle Paul to eagerly desire the gifts of prophecy. So Lord, we come to you today. We ask Holy Spirit, you pour forth your Holy Spirit upon us again afresh. God, you pour forth your Holy Spirit upon us afresh. Help us to open our minds and hearts to this area. Increase our faith, Lord. Let us be the prayer. Thank you.